this um, kind of unusual, happens from time to time, our announcer, Alan Coulter, the best in all of television announcing, ladies and gentlemen, Alan Coulter. Uh, because it's election day and all eyes are turned toward uh, polls and politics and things of that nature, Alan Coulter went to the trouble to prepare a very special election day segment. Alan, are you ready? If you are, take it away. Alan Coulter, everybody. Be sure to cast your vote today. It's your chance to have your say. Take part in democracy. Get out and vote. Keep us free. Line up at your polling place. Help decide a local race. Voting is a right, you see, and a responsibility. Alan. One more. No, stop it. Please stop it. I applaud your message, but... Uh... The polls have been closed for several hours at this point. Wait, 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 no, no, wait. no. Voting is over. The song is lovely, but you're too late. Seriously? Yeah. I rehearsed this thing for weeks, Dave. Mm, sorry. I went to Queens. I got a voting booth. Really? I rented a costume. Uh huh. That's just great. Complete waste of time and effort. Would have been nice if someone had told me, anybody, the whole country can go to hell for all I care. Wait, no, wait a minute. Let's, I'm let's... done trying to help. You mouth breezers would be better off under a dictatorship. It's pathetic. Okay. Pathetic. Pathetic. Sorry. Somebody said, Alan, let's do the voting song the night before election day. Right. I can't be expected to think of every detail. I'm creative. <laughs> You're not blameless in this fiasco, Letterman. You could have said something. I know you want me to fail, Letterman. Where's the accountability? Where? This isn't a country I grew up in. This isn't a country I love. Yeah. Where's the decency? Uh -huh. Anyone, anyone, talk to me, Dave. Talk to me. I'm giving up. Okay. Ah, right. screw it. Okay. <laughs> I just, I just wanted to see how much he had. We'll be right back with Bruce McCall, ladies and gentlemen. Our second annual Election Day Spectacular episode has just been voted on. First of all, thank you for your reaction. It was and is appreciated. And uh, rest assured that whatever lost this year, we'll cover it in the year to come, obviously. Because we really need to talk about Gary Pusey, pet judge. But also, we need to talk about Here's Boomer, really. <laughs> oh, it's Here's Boomer. Yep. It's a lovable yeah, it's, a, it's a lovable. lovable. It's, an, it's an angelic dog. Yeah, it's a cute little doggy. Okay. But for now, here's Mike with the open. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Episode number 213, submission number 2006, The Master. The Master aired on NBC from January 20th to August 31st, 1984, for a total of 13 episodes.
Wait a minute, Chico. This show's not about Anthony Anally. No. He said Anally. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Okay. So, it isn't about Anthony Anally. And it isn't about Eric Roberts either. Oh. It's about ninjas. Ninjas! During, yes, ninjas. Which, during the early to mid-1980s, were everywhere. Everyone loved ninjas in the 80s. Everyone loved ninjas in the 80s. You had the American Ninja movies. You had uh, ninjas in video games. You had... What else did you have? Yeah, Turtles as ninjas. That would be later in the 80s. Yeah, but yeah, the comic book. That's true. The, uh, ba- the Basically, everybody wanted a piece of the sort of ninja mythos up to this point. And NBC was no exception. Uh, I believe it was 1984, so I'm guessing Grant Tinker would have been in charge. Yeah, somewhere around there was that Grant Tinker, Brandon Tartikoff transition period. Yes. So they were thinking, okay, the A-team, good. What if we did the A-team with ninjas? But not just a ninja. Let's have a white guy as a ninja. Yes. We're going to have an old white guy as a ninja. An old white guy as a ninja. And he is going to take in an apprentice. But this old white guy as a ninja has a problem. What's his problem? He He left a student in Japan and he's come to America to kill him. Oh! Uh oh. Uh oh. Do you think Dick told Susan St. James about the concept of the master? And when he told her about this part, she probably said, uh oh. Uh oh. Yeah. So now that we got the basic story out of the way, let's get into some details. John Peter McAllister is a veteran of both World War II and the Korean War. And he decided to stay in Japan to enjoy peaceful post-war life, which, how do you even do that? Well, how about falling in with some ninjas and learning the ways of the Shadow Warrior, ultimately rising to the ranks of the first Occidental American ninja? The guy even says so right before the credits. In fact, I have the text right here. By the way, this is Max Keller talking. Max Keller, by the way, is the young apprentice of the master who has a uh, who has a couple of habits. One, falling in with a lady, and two, getting thrown out of a window. That seems to happen a lot to this guy on this show. Yes. Anyway, he says, John Peter McAllister the only Occidental American to achieve the martial arts discipline of a ninja. Once part of a secret sect, he wanted to leave, but was marked for death by his fellow ninjas. He's searching for a daughter he didn't know he had, pursued by Okasa, once the master's student, now sworn to kill him. That master found a new student. That's me, Max Keller. But we knew Okasa be behind us, in the shadows. 
ready to strike again. Ooh. Yeah. So we have one master, two students, one good, one bad. Well, good enough anyway. He's not out to kill his master. Let's just say that. Oh, okay. It's not like a Seth situation where the apprentice is in it to kill the master. No. So, now you know the story. McAllister and young Max travel the country looking for the daughter that McAllister never knew he had, all the while being pursued by Okasa, a ninja trained in the deadly arts and sworn to return to Japan with the head of John Peter McAllister. How are you going to get that through TSA, I wonder? Well, it's 1983. There's no TSA, right? That is correct. No one will care. You could have, like, a separate body through the airport at, like, Kennedy or LaGuardia in 83. No one would care. Okay. I buy that. Okay. So, let's go over the cast real quick. We have the uh, legendary Western actor Lee Van Cleef, uh, who, by the way, died in 1989. Oh, he plays John Peter McAllister. He was born in 1925, which means in 1984, he would be... 59. 59, yes. And he looked it. Oh, no, no, no. He looked like he was 80. Yeah, he looked like he was 80. Well, well, he's, supposed to be, well he's supposed to be a World War II veteran. So He's supposed to be a World War II veteran. And if he was enlisted, you know right after Pearl Harbor in early, I want to say, let's, you know what, let's go with 20. He would have been at least 24 when the war ended, which would put his age at 63, give or take. Something like that. But he... Very much looked frazzled. I mean, I have a background picture of John Peter McAllister. He old. He old. He old. He old and he fat. He's fat! So, apparently, he is very agile for his age. And, you know, we're supposed to believe that he's this... He is a ninja master, and he has renounced his lifestyle, but he still has those moves which i can totally buy because this is hollywood and in hollywood we have these things called stuntmen stuntmen but it's very obvious when you see the stunts that it's not him oh definitely so he arrives and picks up a drifter named max keller who by the way likes to get thrown out of windows. And he also likes the ladies. The ladies. Max is played by Tim Van Patten. And for the he record... Is, he is the half-brother of Dick Van Patten. Really? Yes! The half, the oh, half, oh, I he thought is... he was a son, but a half- No, he is the no. half- well, It gets even more interesting... Because that would make him the uncle of Vince Van Patten. And Vince Van Patten's older than Tim. By two years, yeah. Or a year and a half. 
That is wild. That is absolutely wild. Yeah, his nephew is older than him. Hey, little circuit guy, what are you working on? You kind of left the theater in a hurry, you know. Yeah, what's the hoodoo, Skitter? Uh, hey, uh, dim the lights, guys. I got something to show you. Uh, Cambot, uh, play some of that appropriately tension-filled incidental music. What? What's this all about? We can't talk here. Bro, aren't you being just a bit overdramatic? Well, sure. Uh, but I've stumbled upon a plot that once exposed will blow the lid off the entertainment industry. Did either of you two stop to consider for a moment why Timothy Van Patten is in this stupid film? Uh, Patrick Swayze was busy? Good guess, but I thought of that. No, we're dealing with something even more terrifying than the Swayze conundrum. I'm talking about a plot more insidious. Gentlemen, I present for your consideration, assist, the Van Patten Project! Sitting atop the Van Patten corporate structure, Dick Van Patten, or should I say Don Dick Van Vito Patten Corleone! His evil plan to place an annoyingly bad actor, preferably one of his own hellish drop, in every B-grade made-for-TV and low-budget film in Hollywood. Oh, uh, that would be all of them. <laughs> <clears throat> his plan is quite simple. He begins his career with the Lunt, scatting about in legitimate theater. Then he snatches a plum roll in the television sitcom Mama. The popular show runs until 56. Then, mysteriously, no dick. <gasps> Fade to the 70s, decade of shame. Dick explodes across the television screen with shows like the new Dick Van Dyke show and The Partners, When Things Were Rotten, and Eight is Enough, a show that launched the criminal career of many a young hack talent. Uh-huh. Now, Timothy Van Patten comes forth to do his evil in the white shadow, the master. Then James Van Patten gets a small role in the short-lived western, the Chisholms. And then what happens to him? I don't know. And then there's Vincent. Vincent, who is truly abysmal in Apple's way and three for the road, then became the bionic boy. At least he could smell the bacon frying and had a good sense to become a tennis player. The parallels with... The Godfather are inescapable. Sad when it happens to somebody you know, isn't it? Uh, Enter Joyce Van Patten. Yes, Joyce, sister of Dick, the real power behind the Van Patten Empire. Joyce, like Caligula's grandmother, plotting and planning in the background a string of failures in her wake. The Don Rickles Show. The Mary Tyler Moore Hour. The Good Guys. Her with Herb Edelman and Bob Denver. Show I actually kind of liked, except uh, for the third season when Rufus got rid of the taxi and helped out more in the diner. You know, because then it really kind of started... Crow, would you please get to your point? Uh, I don't have one. That's great. Okay. Come on, you're coming with me. That's whoa! Uh, we'll be right back after this. Forget about the Tommy Westfall universe. We gotta talk about the Van Patten universe. And obviously, poker is involved somehow. Oh, well, yeah, well, the thing is, yeah, uh, Vince Van Patten was like a tennis pro before the whole poker craze, so uh, obviously this show was before... WPT, which meant before 2003. Yeah, this would be like 92, I think, the third season of MST3K was. Yes. This episode has... Because, oh, I should note, we're going to save for the end of the episode, but yeah, they edited like these episodes into like straight-to-video movies, and then they aired on MST3K. Like, oh, actually, actually, there were two of them. That's what I said. There's two of them. Yes, I was like... No, there were two of them. I was but correcting there, myself. But there was also a third movie, believe it or not, that was supposed to air on MST3K in the sixth season, but that did not air. Oh, that's... that's they that's, replaced it with Samson versus the Vampire Woman. And really, I love Samson versus the Vampire Woman. It's a solid episode. Hey, any movie that has El Santo in it, I love. Just saying. Hey everybody, is the disembodied computer voice lady here again? 
Actually the two straight-to-video movies made up of episodes of The Master called Master Ninja and Master Ninja 2 aired on Mystery Science Theater 3000 in January of 1992 near the end of the third season. And dear Lord Timothy Van Patten's acting is really really bad that I could have done a better acting job than him and I don't even have a body. So, what else can we say about Tim Van Patten? They pretty much summed up his entire raison d'etre there. Oh, do you want to hear a fun fact about Tim Van Patten that I was going to wait for this episode? What's that? Okay, Tim Van Patten actually graduated from high school, from Massapequa High School. And do you know who was in his graduating class from 1977? Who? There's two people, and you're not going to believe this. The first one is Brian Setzer. What? Whoa! Yes! Great cast Brian Setzer, orchestra's Brian Setzer? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's great. But the other one, and this is great, because, and this is by sure coincidence, is Brian Boldinger from the NFL Network. And the yeah. amazing thing is, okay, now, fun fact, Brian Boldinger lives like 10 minutes from my brother's house in South Jersey, and like... <laughs> He had like um, a T-shirt for like for his segment for an NFL Network, and my brother actually bought the shirt for me for Christmas. But the thing was, like, my brother, like, I guess his wife runs the um, the Facebook thing for uh, his store or whatever, and my brother said to his wife, "Hey, I live ten minutes from your house. Can I just stop by and get the shirt?" And it's like, okay, there it is. And I wore that, and believe it or not, I wore that exact same shirt when I was taping what's soon to be on Place to Be Nation Pop, the um, blockbuster rewatch I did with Andy Afferton. We did a live watch of Thor the other night while we're taping this on a Friday. So I was wearing that shirt on when we were taping the episode, which I find funny. So your brother went to Brian Baldinger's house. Yes. I hear he's an excellent host. The, The information you get on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Again, we don't just educate, we also inform. And we got plenty of anecdotes, apparently. Oh, but yes. And then you have the person who is relentlessly pursuing both McAllister and Max, the young student Okasa, played by legendary ninja actor Sho Kosugi, who is also the stunt coordinator of this series, and the father of Kane Kosugi and Shane Kosugi, both of whom would be ninja actors themselves, both in America and Japan. It's like, in fact, Kane Kosugi plays Ninja Black Jiraiya on Ninja Sentai Kaku Ranger. Chico? Mm-hmm. Did you say Kane? I said Kane. That's gotta be Kane! Do you have anything for Shane? Oh, Shane O'Mac? No, I don't. Okay, just, just wanted to check. I, I, don't, I can't it's do It's gonna this. be Shane! Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's what Finn says. Hey, everyone, it's Shane! That's gotta be Shane, damn it! So, you have all of the pieces in play. You have the protagonist, deuteragonist, and the antagonist. So, where do we go from here? Well, remember, this is the A-Team with ninjas. So we have McAllister and Max 
traveling all across the country looking for the daughter McAllister never knew existed. Oh, spoiler alert, we never meet the daughter because the show was canceled before we could. Oh. But we do meet a whole lot of colorful characters and we'll talk about them. Uh, how's right now for you? Okay. Okay. I was going to wait for like an hour from now, but yeah, let's do it now. Okay, we're going to do it right now. Okay, here we go. Episode one, Max. John Peter McAllister is introduced as an American who remained in Japan after the war and became a ninja. He has just discovered he has a daughter after many years and decided to go to America to find her. On his way out, he is wounded by a former protege who vows to track him down and stop him from breaking the ninja code. Meanwhile, in America, the town of Ellerston, a drifter and wannabe hero Max Keller, runs into a girl who flags him down on the road. Apparently, the girl was being attacked or come on to be a corrupt sheriff. Max saves her and learns that the girl, Holly Trumbull, and her father own an airport, which is trying to be closed and bought out by a scheming land developer. The master, meanwhile, arrives and runs into trouble with the sheriff at the bar. The master demonstrates amazing skill to Max, stunt double, during a fight in the bar with the sheriff and other hoodlums. Max decides he wants to become a ninja. Max tags along with the master in hopes of becoming a ninja and to also help him find his daughter. Well, good luck he had searching for the daughter because they never find her. Spoiler alert. Okay, but the guest stars in this episode playing Mr. Trumball. Oh, Sheriff Lobo himself, Clark Aikens. I miss Sheriff Lobo. Oh, Sheriff Lobo. Mm-hmm. One day we're going to cover that in BJ and the Bear. Maybe. Okay. And then you have the Robert Baron land boss. What was his name? Mr. Christensen. Yep. Played by Clue Gulliger, who was last seen in the neo-classic Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. As oh. the bookstore man. Ooh. And also going way back, we would know him as Billy the Kid in the 60s Western, The Tall Man. Wow. Ooh. And I think that airs on H&I, if I remember correctly. I think oh. it airs on weekends. Oh. Might have yep. to check that out on H&I. But okay. The biggest guest on this episode, playing Holly Trumbull, guys. Debbie Moore. She had to be a kid at that point. Well, she was early doing 20s? soap operas at the time. Let me just yeah, see. Remember 62. Was... Yeah, she'd be 21 at this point. Yes, yeah, she's like a late entry brat packer. Wow. Yeah, next year she's 60. Wow. What? I know, that's nuts. She keeps incredibly well. She, Yeah, she is ageless, Debbie Moore. And she did a hell of a job in striptease. Just saying. Oh, and playing Sheriff Kyle is Bill McKinney, who was the sadistic mountain man in the film Deliverance. Big squeal! (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, episode two. Episode two. Out of time step. The master's search for his daughter leads him and his apprentice to a dance club under siege by corrupt businessmen. I'm beginning to sense a theme here. Hmm. Yeah, 
And some of the uh, names in this episode are very familiar. Uh, Shanna Reed as Kelly Patterson. Of course, she is the mother on Major Dad. Whoa, before we move on, I need to mention this about her. Because this is a show I think Greg can't wait to cover. In 1985, she was on five episodes of I Had Three Wives. I Had Three Wives. The st- As we discussed in the We Got It Made episode, the stupidest premise ever. Victor Gorber is a guy who uses his three ex-wives to help him solve crimes. That is stupid. That is absolutely dumb. But we'll have to cover it one day. Well, definitely. Uh, another person of note in this episode is Soon Tech O, who is basically that Asian guy in that thing. But you would probably remember him as Bon Bon High in Kung Fu The Legend Continues. Oh. Or the voice of Show Fa from the Mulan movies. Ooh, Milan. And uh, Hiroshi on the new Zorro. And then there's, oh god, Brian Tochi, Cadet Nogata from the Police Academy movies. And also, uh, I want to say the voice of Leonardo in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies. And the voice of Liu Kang in Mortal Kombat Defenders of the Realm. Yeah, he also played the voice of Bungie on Bionic 6, if you remember that far back. What the heck is Bionic 6? It's basically MCA's attempt to turn the $6 million man and the Bionic Woman into an animated franchise back in 1987. Jeez. And of course, because we have to make the connection, he played Ensign Kenny Lynn on an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, yes, because we always have to talk about TNG on this podcast. Yep. And at the same time, he played Takashi in the Revenge of the Nerds movies. So Brian Tochi, very much a known entity. All right. Not so much a known entity doing uh, the Master, though. No, not so much a known entity doing the Master. But whatever. But, again... Following a lead on his daughter's whereabouts, the master and his apprentice looked up to meet with Kelly Patterson, a dancer at a nightclub owned by her father. However, this nightclub is in danger of being taken over by corrupt businessmen from Chinatown who are protected by Okasa. Oh, no. Yeah, that guy. Aided by Kelly's handicapped sister, it's up to the crime-fighting doer to save the nightclub and hopefully find another clue that will lead to the master's daughter. We'll see how that goes. Episode 3, State of the Union. The Master and his apprentice stop in their search for McAllister's daughter to refuel their funds. However, upon losing a dirt bike race, Keller tries to pick up a few days' work at a local cannery. There he meets a cute young union organizer whose cause is threatened by the cannery's sadistic boss and his thirst for violent control over everything around him. It's up to the master and his apprentice to help her make things right with their bag of tricks and a few wheelies. Okay, guys, are you ready? Are you ready oh, to I, find out? You were waiting for this. Oh. Here we go. All right. 
playing the girl in this episode. <laughs> Crystal Bernard! And of course, Crystal Bernard would later come to bigger fame, aside from It's a Living, of course, on a little show that Greg really likes called The Beat. No, or, it's, uh, called, it's called Beat Wings. Bills? Bills? It's called Wings. Wings, yeah, Wings, Wings. Yeah, because, you know, Greg loves Wings. I love Wings, but guys, guys, uh-huh. I'm going to let you in on something. And this is going to be really tough to say, but really tough to say. Yeah, I know. I I don't think I've told a single soul this, but I'm going to make a confession on this podcast. Okay. Uh huh. Go ahead. Did you know Wings made Tony Shalhoub's career? I had a feeling. Did not know that. I, I had a bit of a feeling there. But yeah, that's basically the episode uh, where we see Max hit on the chick from It's a Living. Yeah. But all episode four, we got like three notables on this one. Yep. Episode four, Hostages. After saving her from a runaway sports car, Keller and McAllister are invited by a rambling blonde to a black tie garden party hosted by her father, an influential senator. However, the party is crashed by more than just Okasa when a terrorist organization swoops down and kidnaps the senator and a number of hostages in the hopes of trading them for the release of political prisoners. Aided by an old rival slash acquaintance, McAllister and Keller must infiltrate the terrorist stronghold and rescue the prisoners before their time runs out. Okay, but playing the character of Castle in this episode... Oh, legendary actor, David McCallum. Oh, yeah. And you'd best know him on NCIS. And he was in A Night to Remember. Nice. And then you have the head of the CIA, played by Monty Markham. And I'm sure Monty Markham, oh, yeah, he's just... If you remember the Guns of the Magnificent Seven. The Guns of the Magnificent Seven. He did that. And of course, lately, you've seen him as a Johnny Carson impersonator on I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson. Oh, I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson. Well, you know what, guys? Poppy steaks for everyone. You know what, guys? I hope that the guy in the hot dog suit is trying to find the guy who did that car crash. I really hope he tries to find that guy. Oh my God. What happened here? Yeah. We're all trying to find the guy who did this and give him a spanking. Cause oh. as we all know, we're all trying to find the guy who did this. Yep. We are. Oh, but playing Mallory playing Mallory. Okay, guys. I think this is the first time we've talked about him in episode proper, not like in the pre-rambling before the episode. But we did talk about him recently. Playing Maori. George Lazenby. Yes. The one-time Bond. Yes. Well, I'll tell you this. Being on The Master, this never happened to the other fella. Do you get the joke? I totally do. 
It's a reference to the opening in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, where he references the fact that Diana Rigg left him in the car. Oh, and playing Alicia Clayton. Hey, guys, we talked about her back in episode 50. Jennifer Runyon. She was in the first season of Trolls in Charge. I totally remember her. And, And, guys, she was in the opening scene in Ghostbusters with Bill Murray. I have to go now, Jennifer. But I'd like to work with you some more. Perhaps you could come back this evening, say it. Eight o'clock? I was just going to say, eight (laughs) o'clock? You are a legitimate phenomenon. That's right, the sequence with the cards. Episode five. High Rollers. Wait, High Rollers? Does Alex Trebek show up in this episode? No, it was actually Wake Martindale, but you're paying attention. No, I'm kidding. Wait a second. I thought that was the episode where the chandelier drops on Ruta Lee's head. Oh. Wait. wait don't do there... Ruta Lee like that, man. Guy, do guys, Ruta I got like a question. That. Is there a $10,000 antique Chinese fishbowl in this episode? No. Oh. I was going to say yes. Oh, come on. There's got to be a $10,000 fishbowl. One day we need to figure out the mystery. What happened to the $10,000 Chinese fishbowl? Where is it? That'll be part of our new spinoff series, Greg. It was a thing on TV investigates. (laughs) Okay. So in this episode, McAllister and Max go to a Vegas casino to visit Max's show girlfriend, only to find themselves in the middle of a heist. Oh, you know, Max sure has a lot of lady friends. Yeah. Yeah, he does. I don't know who the lady of the uh, episode was, but... Oh, I think it's this Terry Treas, whoever this Ta- is. Terry Treas. Oh! Oh, from Alien Nation. Alien the Nation! Series. Oh, the series Alien Nation. Oh, that's great. Alien that's Nation. Cool. Not just from the series Alien Nation, like the entire franchise of Alien Nation, the TV movies. Oh, anything that's like Alien Nation she was in. Except for the actual Alien Nation movie. Oh, yeah. That is true. Episode 6, Bat Tuesday. During Mardi Gras in New Orleans, a reporter uses Terry McAllister's name as a cover for her own sources. She's hoping to bring down a respected local citizen who is secretly running guns to Arab terrorists. Max and McAllister become entangled as a result. And guys, are you ready for this? Oh, I'm ready. I love this. Oh, we've got like several names here. In the role of Beaumont, Chris Pine's daddy. Robert Pine? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And an excellent Password Plus player. Very much. And in the role of Willie, Mabel King. Yeah, the mama on what's happening. The mama on what's happening. And she looks like she could play somebody from New Orleans. Episode 7, Chuggernaut. Wait, the X-Men villain? I'm the Juggernaut! Don't you know who I am? I'm the Juggernaut! Vinnie Jones' best work. 
McAllister and Max are in a town where farmers are being terrorized by the owner of a trucking company who wants half of their take for running their produce into town. Meanwhile, each finds themselves taken with a feisty mother and her even feistier daughter. Ooh. And playing said feisty mother and daughter, Diana Moldar. Oh, great. A Pulaski episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, she's that. Oh, didn't we talk about her before? I'm pretty sure we did. Without in quarter country, I think, right? Yeah. She was the one who fell down the elevator shaft, right? Mm-hmm. For staying with a man who doesn't love you. I really didn't want to talk about it. Good. Because remember how I was confused and I thought Danny Wells fell down the elevator shaft. No! Danny Wells didn't fall down the <laughs> elevator shaft. And of course, since Diana Boltar is involved, I have to say, oh great, a Pulaski episode. <laughs> and her daughter, Kat, is played by Tara Buckman who did not play Dr. Pulaski on Star Trek The Next Generation, but she was in such films as The Cannonball Run, Silent Night, Deadly Night, and at least 23 episodes of Days of Our Lives. Hey guys, did you know Cannonball Run 2 made Joe Klecko's acting career? Wait, wait, I didn't know Joe Klecko had an acting career. Well, he did! Well, and and that made it for him. (laughs) Episode 8. The Good, the Bad, and the Priceless. John, Max, and Kat go to New York to find John's daughter. They find her, but what they don't know is that the girl they think is her daughter is an imposter. What? By the way, Tara Buckman, also in this episode. And uh, uh, of the people also in this episode, Janine Turner. Janine Turner from Northern Exposure. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And she was Katie McCoy in Friday Night Lights. She was the she was the um, the mother of the kid who was played by the. Do you remember? Oh, I forget. I forget. Um, do you remember that? Do you remember the uh, Peter Pan movie, Chico, from like the mid 2000s? I do remember the Peter Pan movie she, from the. She played that kid. She played that kid's mother in Friday Night Lights. Wow. Yeah, it's around season three of Friday okay. Night Lights. So they don't find his daughter, and also they don't find Okasa. So, yay. Uh, also, there's one other name we cannot skip because this is a big name. George Maharis? You guys don't know who George Maharis is? George Maharis? I don't know who George Maharis is. Oh, Route 66. Route 66. Oh, that guy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I want to know who this Johnny Seven guy is, because he plays a guy by the name of Rossetti. He played, all right, let me Lieutenant Coral Reese on Ironside. He was also in the 1960 film The Apartment with Jack Lemmon. Hey, 
guys. One day we'll cover another one of his son's most famous shows with Duet. I just wanted to have an excuse to mention Duet on this episode. You need an excuse to mention Duet? It's Duet. You don't need an excuse. Hey, Greg. Yeah. Is it possible that Johnny 7 is related to Johnny 5? Oh, yeah, that would be great if Johnny 7 was a relative of Johnny 5. But that would mean he's a robot. Well, Johnny 7 is two more than Johnny 5, yeah. That is true. Yeah, math doesn't lie. Nope. All right. Oh, oh, I love this episode. Next episode, episode 9, Kudoichi. Max and McAllister travel to Washington, D.C. to help a reporter named Allison Grant and uncover an assassination plot of a high-ranking official. Max and McAllister discover that Okasa is part of the plot with the mysterious frontman and learn that Okasa has a pupil in training who turns out to be a female ninja to, their surprise, tasked to carry out the plot during a public music concert. Oh, and playing Brian Elkwood in this episode is Jack Kelly, who played the role of Bort Maverick on the TV series Maverick from 1957 to 1962. Well, we also have to mention, he was a host of the original Sale of the Century. Oh, that's right. He was. The the original back in the uh, late 60s and early 70s, yeah. So he was not Jim Perry, but he was Jack Kelly. Yeah, uh, and then he got replaced, I believe, by Joe Garagiola. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then you have. Uh, are you ready for this? Elsa Grant, played by Kelly Harmon. Mark Harmon's sister. Yeah, Mark Harmon's sister. And here's the thing she'd also be starring in another 1983 84 failure on NBC Bay City Blues. Oh, yeah, Bay City Blues. Oh, and also, I think one more thing we need to mention. Mm-hmm. She was married to John DeLorean. Oh, that is amazing. So I'm guessing this was like his rebound from Christina Ferrari. Probably. Oh, no. Oh, no. They got married in 1969. Oh, nice. Well, besides that. And then they divorced in 72. So Christina Ferrari was the rebound from Kelly Horman. Well, there good job. Go. Good job on you, John. That explains a lot, if you mm. know what I mean. Yes, Greg, we all know John DeLorean loved cocaine. That joke was so obvious that even Helen Keller knew that it was coming. Yeah. And funny thing is, she was the customer for 10 episodes of Top Chef Masters. Oh, that's pretty good. So basically, still working today. That's good. Hey, That's really good. Another connection to NCIS since we mentioned David McCallum earlier. And then we have mm-hmm. the sister of Mark Corman. Ooh. All right. Do we ever find out who the female ninja is? I'm willing to guess it's Allison herself. Probably. Episode 10 The Java Tiger. Max and McAllister travel to Hawaii to help the daughter of a murdered friend recover half of their treasure map on an island that he owns that could contain great wealth. So for this episode, it's basically 
okay, forget the daughter. Let's go after the money, which is kind of weird if you think about it. Anyway, some names in this episode include, are you ready for this? Dick O'Neill playing Leo Fairchild. Wow. Dick, Oni- Dick O'Neill, uh, of course, from The Jerk. The original taking a Pelham 123. Commissioner Geis on Family Matters, the CBS season, which oh, we talked about on this podcast. Yeah, he was no Barry Jenner. No. And uh, Moon Willis on the short lived Dark Justice. Remember, the first season was taped in Spain. The second season was taped in Los Angeles. And then you have uh, Cynthia Seipert, who I guess is the uh, the face of the episode. And she would have been uh, that lady in that thing, but she is also a prolific stunt woman. So that's good. That's really good. Episode 11 Failure to Communicate. Keller and McAllister travel back to Max's old haunts where his father, Patrick, who's a drunken alcoholic lawyer and works with his blind assistant, Laura Crane, still grieving over the loss of Max's mother and brother. Immediately, they see a bunch of goons going after a beautiful blonde named Kathy Hunter, who they rescue at a local cemetery and bring her home to her father, who's a wealthy banker. Soon it's revealed that Kathy is part of a kidnapping plot involving Max's father, and the mysterious person calling the shots, who may be close to Kathy herself. Meanwhile, Okasa is also looming closely, trying once again to eliminate McAllister. Okay, but playing Max's father in this episode, Doug McClure. Yeah, buddy. And the blind law clerk working with Doug McClure? Rebecca Holden. Yeah, it's right, Rebecca Holden. April Curtis from Knight Rider. And the most important thing, guys. It's time for a match game. Hollywood Squares. Our reference. She was on one of the early weeks of the match game Hollywood Squares Hour. Damn right she was. Yes, she was. Hey, there's our weekly Match Game Hollywood Squares reference. Yeah. Uh, R.I.P. The run just concluded on Buzzer. Let's pour one out. But there's more. So much more. We have, as Paul Stilwell, Mark Goddard. And come on, Mark Goddard. Major Don West in Lost in Space. The original Lost in Space. That's right. And are you ready for this, Mike? Oh, this is a big one. This is a big one. Playing Lieutenant Kyle and Kooky Burns. Kooky, Kooky, lend me your comb. And of course, we would know Kooky Burns from 77 Sunset Strip, but he also hosted a pilot for Wheel of Fortune, of course. It's time for a match game. Hollywood Squares. Our reference. And if you've been watching uh, the buzzer reruns this week, guys, 
He was on the 50s week of Match Game Hollywood Squares. There's the second reference in literally three minutes to Match Game Hollywood Squares. And in this episode, no less. Yep. Did we talk about who plays Gordon Hunter? Who plays Gordon Hunter? J.D. Cannon, who played Peter B. Clifford in the TV series McLeod with Dennis Weaver. Ah, part of the uh, mystery movie rotation. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, the mystery movie rotation back in the early 70s, yeah. Episode 12, getting close to the end, folks. Rogues. Max and McAllister travel to another one of Max's old haunts, where he searches for an old high school girlfriend who might be working at a local gym in Los Angeles. Soon the duo find trouble when a man is harassing Max's friend and learns that he's an LAPD cop working a case involving her brother, who has gone into hiding and sends cryptic messages to learn his whereabouts. Turns out he's gone into hiding from a group of rogue police officers trying to silence him and eventually take her hostage. Max and McAllister soon have to take them on to get her back alive. And some of the names in this episode... Well, I don't know if there are any names in this episode. I know we have Kaz Garris playing Loring. I'm guessing is the uh, babyface cop. And he was a that guy from that thing. I think his greatest role was in the new Adam 12. One episode, at least. And also several roles in the streets of San Francisco. And then you have Paul Tully, who played Jerry Donovan. And Paul Tully, what was Paul Tully in? He was in Real Genius as Mr. Taylor. Oh, real genius. And also in two episodes of Falcon Crest. And finally, episode 13. A Place to Call Home. Max and McAllister rescue an orphan kid from a nearby church who has stolen something valuable from a local store that turns out to lead back to a group of prep locals trying to get the kids out of town along with their foster mother. They soon encounter some dangerous thugs in the process. And one of the kids in this episode, kid by the name of Bobby, is played by Cho Kosugi's son, Kane Kosugi. That's gonna be Kane! That's what I said. And interestingly enough, this is... Oh, time out, guys. Time out. I got something to mention. I didn't even realize who in this episode, as a guest star, is James Gammon, who played Lou Brown in Major League and Major League Two. Really? Yes. Well, at least it says it on Truth by Consensus Wikipedia. Come on, Dorn. Get in front of the damn ball. Don't give me this old lame. Well, then. I learned the thing. So we have that, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking at the credit, Cynthia Lee Clark, this is like her third episode in so many uh, episodes playing a different character in each one, which is kind of weird if you think about it. Let me see what characters she played on The Master here. She plays... A farm girl at a place to call home, a party girl in rogues, and a bridesmaid in failure to communicate. So there you go. 
and I'm going to throw out one more name mm-hmm. playing Mark Richards in this episode is Jack O'Mahony. And the one credit I recognize him from, and this is rerunning somewhere. I thought this was on H&I, but doing some quick research, it's not on H&I, but I've seen this on the uh, digital guide for my uh, cable system. He was on Yancey Derringer, which again, another uh, Western from the late 50s or early 60s. All right. Late late 50s, 58 to 59 on CBS. One season wonder. Okay. And he played the total role of Yancey Derringer. And that is basically the run of the master. So what happened aside from the obvious? Well, in the 83-84 season, the master took the slot that was occupied by previous entry, Greg. Yeah. Do the rare. Row! Minimal. And didn't really do that much better than the show it replaced. Well, it was going up against Dallas. I was just about to say. So later in the run, they moved the show up an hour to replace Legmen, which replaced previous entries Mr. Smith and Jennifer Slept Here. But instead of Dallas, now they're up against Benson, Webster, and the Dukes of Hazard. No, that's not going to work. That is. No. That's just. No. It's a, it's a murderer's row. Let's admit it. It is a murderer's row. So, suffice it to say, ninjas were a big thing, but the ratings just weren't there. Not against Benson, Webster, the Dukes of Hazard, and Dallas. But that doesn't mean necessarily that people have forgot about the show. Because we were talking earlier in the night, and Greg brought up, of course, the MST3K cuts, which was basically three movies, well, two movies that aired on MST3K, called together from uh, various episodes. Yeah. And they were all distributed by a frequent distributor of movies for MST3K episodes, Film Ventures International, which gave us such classics as Space Travelers, which is basically the public domain cut of Maroon with Gene Hackman. And by the way, as MST3K famously told us, Gene Hackman's great in anything. And wouldn't you know it, they had a total of seven master movies called from the entire run, re-edited to fit into 90-minute fights. Unfortunately, we only got two of them on MST3K. And we could have had a third one, but El Santo takes higher priority. That is correct. But if you really want, I mean, if you really die to see this whole series uncut and in all of its glory, it is released on Blu-ray and DVD thanks to our friends at Kino Lorber. It was released in 2018. And there is one more thing that this show will have us remembering. 
if you remember the theme music was done by Bill Conti and Bill Conti just one of the masters of the genre oh I mean come on Rocky the Karate Kid American Gladiators oh he did do the music for American Gladiators oh and he did do the music for a Bond movie he did the music for For Your Eyes Only he did For Your Eyes Only Only for you only for you. Trying to be Sheena Easton there. Greg, I love you like a brother, man. But, but I'm, I'm no Sheena Easton. Not even close. Well, you know, I do take the morning train and my baby works from nine to five. But there is one more thing. But the Bill Conti theme did make its way to a little known game called the Ninja Master for the ZX Spectrum. Yeah, that is. That is something. That is a uh, that is a whole lot of something. So, what can we say about the Master? It had ninjas. It had a young guy who likes women and getting thrown out of windows. It had Lee Van Cleef doing things that, honestly, I, I, I feel sorry seeing him do those things. I really do. But in any other time, the master probably would have found his daughter. And then they'd have to figure out where we want to go from here. But because it was up against Dallas on Friday nights, the master... It's just a thing on TV. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, you can always go, of course, to itwasathingontv.com. If you enjoyed this episode, we got 212 other episodes prior to this. And, of course, we got live shows. We got director's cuts. We got remasters of old episodes on our Podbean feed at itwasathingontv.podbean.com. Guys, on Wednesday, on the Podbean feed, we're also releasing another episode of Into the Spidey Movers, me and Chico discussing Spider-Man 3. And boy, Chico, it we makes me want to dance. This. Yeah, well, you know what? Oh. Get on up! Come oh. on and grab your fucking soul! Everybody, come on and grab your fucking soul! Everybody, come on and grab oh. your fucking soul! Oh. <clears throat> I don't care what anyone says. I will absolutely love the absolute hell out of Tobey Maguire's dancing in Spider-Man and 3. And we've driven Mike to drink. He's drinking his Dr. Pepper like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Do we have to do the dance again, Mike? I can't get a drink without some sort of criticism. Well, it is Dr. Pepper. Forrest Gump would be proud of you for drinking a Dr. Pepper. Yo, 23 flavors of death, man. 23 flavors of death. It's like the Wu-Tang. Okay, just for that. Just for that. Okay. (laughs) Drinking from his big-ass thermos. That's a big-ass thermos. It's a big-ass thermos for a big-ass man. You are the beast, Mike. Well, you are... Uh, a guy who looks like the Beast. I'm the Beast Junior. You are a Junior Beast. 
You're a junior Merkel bet. But one thing that you probably aren't is a pro wrestler turned politician. And that's what's going to be covered on our next episode. And if you think it, living through it was pretty bad, try watching the movie based upon it. Oh, yeah. It's going to be pretty painful. All I can say is it makes the room look like Citizen Kane. That's gotta be Kane! <laughs> and that's coming up next time, right here on It Was A Thing On TV. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time! Wow! Well, at least we can enjoy another Film Ventures International credit sequence, oh, huh? yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's what Film Ventures International is famous for, like the Pink Panther and the James Bond credit sequence. Yeah, you know, yeah. that was kind of a weird movie. First Demi Moore and Claude Akins were there, then halfway yeah. through they disappeared. Joel, when mysterious. are you going to stop living a lie? This was not a movie. It was a bunch of episodes strung together. Oh, really? Huh. You guys are cynical. Oh, yeah, you are you cynical. Yeah. Oh, we should get out of here, really. <laughs> okay. Well, it's fun, though, wasn't it? Yeah. At first. And we're going to miss that part.